Amen. Please be seated if you're a middle school or high school aged person. You can head up these doors right here, and uh, they're going to actually be studying the same passage we are today. So that'll be fun. And you don't know what that is yet, but they're about to find out, so they have, they all have new information that you'll have to wait on. So um, we are in a little brief series for stewardship, and Treb talked last week using Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as kind of our anchor, and he talked about trusting in the Lord and went and looked at the life of, of Levi, who later became uh, the disciple Matthew, and how he had really trusted the Lord in this incredible, radical way. And it had transformed his, his entire life and the way that he, he lived his life. And calling us to trust in the Lord in this same way, a way that leaves fear and anxiety where it's supposed to be. And then walks in, in faith with the Lord. We're going to be looking at this idea of relying upon the Lord today. And we will be in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Actually, just 3, 5 to start. But then we're going to jump into um, somewhere else in the Old Testament. So before we do that, let's, let's pray and, and then dive on into, uh, into the Word. Lord, we just give you thanks as those songs did for the cross of Christ and what was accomplished there. We thank you for, for the terrible horror of Calvary where the Son of God died for our sins and where all of the punishment and all of the wrath for human sin was laid on our Savior Jesus. And he bore it instead of us and laid in the tomb and rose from the dead, conquering death to give us new life. We give you praise and glory for that. We ask for your help today to teach us through your word. Teach us what it looks like practically to rely on you in the process of daily living. To rely on you for all things and to walk as children of light. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to do that very thing. We are inadequate in, our, in ourselves to understand your word. But those things have to be spiritually lightened up for us. We can't see them unless you show us. And we need your spirit to empower us to live in, in, in the way that you want us to. So we come to you, Lord Jesus, and ask for you to help us to surrender to you and surrender to the study of your word. Would you teach us? Would you be glorified by, by our lives today? Equip us for the work you have for us to do, O oh Lord. We entrust you. Uh, we, we entrust all of this to you and ask it in your risen name. Amen. All right, so if you look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it's a pretty famous passage. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Great two verses to memorize. Great life verses, really. And like I said, Treb talked about this concept of trusting in the Lord last week. And then, because it's a proverb, they are, they're in these uh, little couplets. So the first one being this positive thing, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then, to help us understand that, it says, and lean not on your own understanding. So it's, it's in this negative way of, not, of what not to do, right? Do not lean on your own understanding. So this idea of leaning, right, like the word lean is in there on purpose. Like if you have a cane, you lean on the cane. Or if you have crutches... You literally lean on the crutches when you walk. I mean, you put your full weight on the crutches when you take a step if you've got a broken leg or foot or whatever. But it means to, to lean, to trust, or rely. And that's this, this Hebrew word is often translated rely or trust. 
And then this word, this meaning of understanding, it really means uh, this concept just of discernment. Trying to look at what does the word understanding mean was a, a kind of a weird rabbit trail for me this week. But uh, it's this idea of faculty, of, of, of our power and our capability. So don't trust in or rely on my own capability. That's what this is saying. The, uh, the message, which is really wonderful in the Proverbs, says don't try to figure it all out on your own. And it's just this real clear reminder of what we're not supposed to do. Now, this is very contrary to the world's message. If you're around very much, I mean, it is, it's like you've got this, you go girl, trust your heart, follow your heart, um, do all these things. You've got this, the power that's in you, the power of yes. I mean, the self-help section is the largest section of, in any bookstore. Because we think that we can help ourselves. It's the great delusion that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. And it is, you don't need God. And the reason you don't need him is because you don't think that he really loves you. If you believe the first lie, that you believe that God doesn't really love you, then you're on your own and you've got to figure it out. So the first lie is that God doesn't love you. That lie is rejected by the life of Jesus, right? He proves his love to us in the life of Christ. The second lie is that I can do this all on my own. This is very clearly going against that very concept. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have to improve, like you don't need to get a planner or you don't need to uh, go work out or eat right or, or you don't need to apply uh, wise things to your life or how you invest or whatever. I just mean you can't do it on your own. That's, that's the story of the whole Bible is we need God's help. And so we're going to look at a story here in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles 14, which is right after First Chronicles. If you know where that is, there you go. This is a dad joke of the day. Anyway, First Chronicles, right up First Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And uh, if you hit the book of Psalms and flip, is anybody flipping anymore? We got, a, we got paper Bibles anywhere? I guess you can just look it up on your phone. So, if you're in an, an old paper Bible, you can turn to Second Chronicles chapter 14. So the context of this is this is King Asa of Judah. So after King David was King Solomon, and then after King Solomon, the kingdom split into two different kingdoms, uh, Jeroboam in the north and Rehoboam in the south, and they were kings of, of the north was called Israel and was these northern um, ten kingdoms, and the southern uh, kingdom was called Judah and was Judah and Benjamin. And the kings of the north, there was, they were all bad. The kings of the south, there were some good ones. And then there were some like Asa, who started out good, and, uh, and maybe didn't end up so hot. So, uh, you have Rehoboam, and then you have Abijah, and then you have Asa. So, he is Solomon's great-grandson. And it says in four, chapter 14, verse 2, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's a good verse. Like if I, I would love for there to be branded what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, period, and then just end my story. Uh, right, that's what I want. Lord, do that. However, uh, we got to keep reading. So, he removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of, his, of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. So, 
these ideas, if you've read much in the Old Testament at all, uh, foreign altars, high places, sacred stones, astropoles, these were all the, the mechanisms of, of, of pagan worship that the Canaanites used, that the Israelites were constantly being pulled into, right? You could replace them with all kinds of things today, materialism, whatever. But he came in and he, spiritually speaking and physically speaking, cleaned house. He tore all those things down and he said, no, we are going to worship the Lord God. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of his fathers, of their fathers, and to obey his laws and commands. And then it says, he built up fortified cities in Judah since the land was at peace. And no one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. So he came in, he obeys the Lord, and obedience brings blessing. Blessing is, uh, is, is peace. And so while he's in this peaceful time, he fortifies all these cities. Very wise. He says, let us build up these towns and put walls around them, towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he was given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. So that's where Asa is. Doing great. And Asa is doing all the right things as king. And it says he has an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. So he's got this big army, and he's got these fortified cities, and then Zerah the Cushite comes. And he marches out against them with a vast army of, and 300 chariots, which I guess is a lot, and they came as far as, as Marisha, which is uh, south southwest of Jerusalem, coming up toward Jerusalem. So he's doing everything right. And then what happens is his enemy comes up with a big army to make a mess of things. Not, a, not Asa's fault. He's doing all the right things, and stuff happens, right? Bad things start happening. Bad guys are coming. Not good times. So what's Asa going to do? So Asa went out to meet him. And they took up battle positions in the valley of uh, Zephatha near Marisha. So here's Asa. They're, in, they're lined up for battle. These guys are lined up for battle. What's Asa going to do? Is he going to brave hearted and just ride in swinging? Look at verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God. And he said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. That word rely is the same word in Hebrew for lean. We rely on you and in your name. We have come against this vast army. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. And the Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah, and they fled, and they pursued them as far as Gerar. So they have this great victory. So Asa has this problem. He's doing all the right things. This big problem comes up, and Asa does what? He calls on the name of the Lord his God. He starts off, he says something that is true about God. Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. That is true. There is no one like the Lord to help the powerless against the mighty. No one. So he says what is true, and then he just clearly asks for something from the Lord. Help us, O Lord our God. Help us. He just says, he, he's lined up for a battle. They're getting ready to fight. He comes before the Lord and says, Lord, help us. Then it says, for we rely on you. Help us because we're leaning on you. And in your name, we've come against this vast army. And then at once again, this declaration of dependence. So Lord, you are our God. Don't let man prevail against who? Against you. Not us. 
you. See, Asa knew who the battle belonged to, which was really key. Asa knew that if they're walking in obedience to the Lord, the Lord, the battle is the Lord's. So we're going to let him fight it. Now, they still went out to battle. They didn't just sit up there and like drink lattes and say, all right, Lord, do your thing. No, they, they got up, they put on their armor, they marched out to battle, and then they went and they fought it. But they fought it in dependence upon the Lord. So fast forward a couple years and a couple chapters to chapter 16. So like a lot of people in the Bible, like you want to stop being David like before you get to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Because then it starts that, then it happened in the spring and the time when the kings go out to war. I hate that. It's the worst chapter in the Bible. I don't like it. Maybe then it worst. Not the worst, actually. There's way worse ones. Um, but I can't stand reading that chapter. So you want to stop, you want to follow Asa up through here. In uh, chapter 16, in the 36th year of his reign, so at the end of his reign, uh, Basha, king of Israel, so his fellow countrymen, used to be countrymen, brother, is coming up to Judah and fortifying these cities, and he's blocking off the, uh, the, the, the routes. So Asa, so Asa has a problem, right? What's he going to do? In verse 2, Asa takes silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple. Are you hearing this? He takes the Lord's money, literally, money that has been given to the Lord. Now, the Lord does not need money. He's not sitting up there going, oh, I've got to move my investments over to so-and-so. I've got to buy this. No, God does not need money. He doesn't need anything. Like the phrase, anytime the Lord needs, whatever follows after that, no, he needs nothing. He might want things, but he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need me to preach. He doesn't need you to do anything. He can, he's needless, which enables him to free a love truly freely. But, so he takes the money out of the Lord's temple and out of his own palace. So he's taken from the temple and from his own stuff. And he sends it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus, not a friend of Israel. And he says, let there be a treaty between you and me, between your father and my, my father and your father. I'm sending you silver. Uh, now break your treaty with this guy, king of Israel, uh, Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa, sent the commanders of his forces against the towns of Israel, and they conquered all of these Israelite cities. When Basha heard this, he stopped building and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Basha had been using. They stole it, and then he used it to build up other cities. All, well, it's shrewd, right? Well, then this guy, Hanani, the seer, comes to Asa, king of Judah. God's really good at sending people to call you out. He sends this seer to the king of Judah, and he says to him, hey, because you relied on the king of Aram, the word again, rely, that's the word for lean, because you leaned on the king of Aram and not the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your land. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. He had been at peace. So Asa's got a choice. What's he going to do? Is he going to respond in humility to it? Or is he going to do what he does in verse 10? Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. Fun times, seer. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. So Ada, Asa goes and then responds like an angry toddler. He puts one guy in timeout. And then he goes and he beats up everybody else in the room. 
The events of Asa's reign from beginning to end are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, he was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. And in the 41st year of his reign, he died like every other king before him. So that's the life of Asa, right? He's this king who starts off trusting the Lord, relying upon the Lord. And then he moves later on in life. 30, I don't know if it's actually 36 years, but 30 some odd years later, he stops trusting the Lord. What, what happened in the interim? Well, I think what happened is that Ada, Asa had success and then he started to lean on his own understanding. So when the Proverbs say, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, Asa had stopped doing that. He had pushed that aside. See, what has to happen between action, between difficulty and godly action is we have to reject our own understanding and then we have to rely upon the Lord. So to reject something, it takes some kind of activity on our part. You don't just passively reject. Passivity can't reject anything. All, the only thing passivity rejects is action. So when there is a problem, I tend to do two things. I either trust in myself or I just run away. So I either think, I've got this. I'm going to do this. I don't need the Lord. I'll figure it out. I'll do fine. We'll do this. I've got it. I'm on. Brandon's good. Let's go. Or I think, this is impossible, I can't do this at all, I'm going to give up, I'm going to sit here, and eventually things will just be okay. Both of those options are really bad. God calls me to active dependence upon Him. So how do we get from rejecting, from rejection to reliance? So and if you remember from high school chemistry, right, you have to have, um, in order for a chemical reaction to happen, you have like molecules that got to bump together, and you have to have this... Um, um, activation energy, right? You have to have enough energy for something to, for the process to go on. If you don't have that, the reaction doesn't happen, so there's no change. A catalyst, remember, lowers that activation energy, makes it easier for chemicals to react to each other. So in this process of going from rejecting my own understanding to relying upon the Lord, I need something to help me do that. The catalyst for that, what helps that e become easy is humility. Humility is the catalyst which enables me to very easily reject my own understanding because I know that my own understanding is faulty, that I'm limited, that I can't do what the Lord wants me to do with that as power, and enables me then to then move into reliance because I am humbly accepting what is true. See, Asa, in the beginning of the story, he had humility. He understood this problem was bigger than him. At the end of his life, he thinks, you know what? I've now got enough money to do this on my own. I don't need the Lord anymore. That's literally what he did. He had lost this humble request of, Lord, help me see this through your eyes. Help me to see how you see and then act as you want me to act. So this idea of rejection, it has to be active. So whatever situation is going on in your life, whatever difficulty you're having, Asa had an actual battle, right? He had an actual battle he had to fight. And we have metaphorical battle. Maybe you're actually fighting in a battle. I don't know. You may be a soldier, in which case this may make a lot more sense to you. But we all have metaphorical battles that we're fighting. You may be fighting a battle with, with depression. Very real battle. Don't let anyone tell you that you're just maybe blue. It's very real and very dangerous. 
Mental health is a massive, massive issue. And it's just now starting to become a place in our, in our society where we're thinking, oh, it actually matters what people think and feel. Maybe we should help each other. It's hard. Mental health is like physical health. It comes and goes. And when we're down, we're down and we need help. Sometimes massive help. And when we don't get help, it can end in suicide. Or the other end of the spectrum is murder. Mental health is this spectrum between things that we as the church have to be in a place where we're accepting one another where we're at and seeking the Lord for help. Oftentimes needing to go to people who are professional counselors who can help us to see things the way that God sees them and then get the help that we need. Maybe you have a battle, of, a financial battle. Maybe your finances are ruined. Maybe your marriage is hard. Maybe you're battling just parenting battles. We now have two actual teenagers in our home and then two People who think they're teenagers, and so, and they will be soon, and we will be at a place where every single day I tell our oldest, this is the first day I've ever done this. I don't know how to parent a 15-year-old. I don't know how to do this. And we say it all the time because I don't. Maybe you have battles at work where you are in a job that you hate, but you can't leave it because you have to provide for your family. Maybe there are massive uh, financial burdens at work where, I mean, let's be honest, this pandemic has not been easy on business owners. Maybe you've had to close your restaurant or close your business or close a store or shut something down. You could be under massive and incredible stress right now. I'm not sure what you're battling. Maybe you're battling just flat out loneliness because you can't go have coffee with a friend we all are battling something. So the question is, how are we going to fight the battles that we're in? We have to reject our own understanding, and then we have to rely upon the Lord and who He is. That reliance upon the Lord is totally contrary to my nature. I, I think that I can do it on my own. That's my default. My default is... I've got this because the roaring message of the world is you are sufficient in yourself for your own problems. But they know that we're not. They're just making up stuff because they say we're sufficient and then they say we need all these other things. They're like, you are sufficient in yourself to do this. Now here is a list of crutches you can use. It's ridiculous. People have asked me, they say, what... I, why do you think that we need God? I said, because we all need something. Find me a person who's actually self-reliant. That person doesn't exist. Was Jesus self-reliant? No. He, did. he said that he would do nothing except for what the Father did. He was utterly God-reliant. The one person who was actually has the capacity to be self-reliant wasn't. Because... In our humanity, we need our creator. So the reliance is this application of faith. We apply the truth of who God is to the reality of our situation. Okay? Reliance, we apply the truth of who God is to the reality of our situation. If all your businesses are being foreclosed upon, that's a real situation. If your marriage is falling apart, that's a real situation. If you have a chronic health issue, that's a real situation. You can't just back off and say, la, 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 everything's fine, right? Everything's fine on Sunday. It's the joke I say all the time. Everybody's fine on Sunday. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm good. Fine. Yeah. Call on the phone. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. No, you're not. 
and I'm not either. Would you stop just relying on yourself? It's dumb. It doesn't help. You need to just stop it, reject it, and live in the reality of whatever really is and apply the truth of who God is. Is God big enough to help you with whatever the thing is? The answer is yes. Will that be hard for you? The answer is yes. Will he want you to maybe have difficulty as he grows you to be more like his son? The answer is yes. What are your alternatives? Like Peter, who sits there and says, Lord, where else do we go? Your other alternative is to do it the world's way. And just, it doesn't take a whole lot of reading. Just like pick up People magazine. We're not in a good place as a society. It's broken. We worship the Kardashians. Do you realize this? They are the apex of success. Beauty, billionaires, bikinis. What? All that goes away. They either get old or they die or they lose their money. Period. Where is Rockefeller now? Can you go worship at his altar? I guess you technically sort of can. Um, can you go worship at, just name your person that you look up to. Unless that person is Jesus, don't worship them. The world's way doesn't work. And the sweet deception is that we can take care of this on our own. So what do we practically do? How do we do that? Because it can't just be just a mental shift. Like, oh yeah, I'm just going to decide. I'm going to reject this, rely on this. Great, Brandon. Let's walk down the aisle and go get some, some hamburgers. There has to be something that we're doing. Asa, when he went out there, wasn't just him thinking. He actually had a plan. So the first thing is this. You need to pause and pray. In order to rely on the Lord or to not lean on your own understanding, when you have a difficulty, you first need to pause I mean like pause, boop, push the pause button, stop, and pray. Maybe that's a real fast prayer. You remember Nehemiah's prayer when he goes before the king and the king asks him what's wrong? And if Nehemiah doesn't answer right away, the king can kill him? Nehemiah just, I don't even think he even voices a prayer, just in his mind. He'd already prayed before and he just asks for the Lord's help and he goes in. Like Peter, when he's slipping into the water, Lord, help me. It doesn't have to be long, but pause and pray. Sometimes it needs to be long. Sometimes it needs to be a long pause. When I was deciding whether the Lord was moving us from Guatemala to here, that was like six months of pause. It's a long wait, waiting for the Lord to show us what we should do. And my sweet wife just had to endure it. <laughs> uh, she just told me, she's like, listen, you just, I'm, I can't take it. You just, whatever the Lord tells you to do, we'll do. Which is super uh, stressful for me. But it worked out okay, I guess. So here we are. But pause and pray. The second thing is seek wisdom from the Lord. Why? Because just a newsflash, you are not adequate in your own capacity to do what God wants you to do. And your nature is going to tell you the contrary thing to do. Whatever your original thing is, whatever your original inclination is probably not right. I have a, uh, um, every one of us, at, at Christmas, I, I always puff up from Thanksgiving to Christmas. Um, one of my kids calls it the, the fat months. And so it's like I'm fattening up for a, I don't know what, like I'm a turkey that they're going to slaughter me. Why? Because I like to eat sweet things and I like pie a whole lot. 
So if there's pie, I eat it. And from Thanksgiving to Christmas, there's always pie. Everywhere I go, pie. And I should be able to say no. Just say, no, Brandon, you don't eat the pie. Yeah, maybe have like a certain amount of pie. And then, but my, my body says, you need all the pie. So you're going to eat, you're going to cut a slice of pie and take that out and save that for the family. And then you can eat the rest of the pie. That's how my flesh works. It's like, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want to sleep more. I want to eat more. I want to relax more. I want more comfort. This is my natural inclination. My natural inclination when my children are fighting each other is to scream at them. Because if I can scream louder than them, I'm bigger and I'm louder and eventually they'll stop. That is not Christ-like at all. Jesus does not come and then yell at us loud enough so that we didn't cower. My natural reaction is to be sinful. So I have to go to God's word because I'm constantly blinded by my own self-reliance. I constantly think, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, and I'm just like King Asa, stealing from the Lord to disobey him. So pause and pray. Seek wisdom from the word. And then I want you to engage in community as you fight your battles. Do you hear me? We are in the age of social distancing, and we're, we're trying as hard as we can as a church to, to follow the rules that, that, that smart people say will keep us safe, okay? We are trying. But there is a point where we, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to let someone in my church commit suicide because they're alone. I'm not. So if you're alone, I will take off my mask, and I will sit right in front of your face, and I will cry with you. And if you give me COVID, then you give me COVID. And if I give you COVID, and we both die from COVID, then... Glory, hallelujah, let's go praise the Lord. I don't know, but there's a point where we have to be in community. Maybe virtual community works. Maybe that's good for you. I can't stand it. It's all right. I mean, I get it. I call a friend of mine in New York once a week, and we, we, we talk, and they've been locked down really hard up there. And so, but he's in a, like a little quad, and they kind of do their community up there. But there's a way to do community because we cannot fight our battles alone. Did Asa go out by himself to stand before the, 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 the Cushites? No, he had like 500,000 dudes behind him. It even says that one of them had uh, small shields and bows and the other one's big shields and spears. I guess that's like a good combo. And then they went and fought. But he did it with an army. You know, we have an army too. It's called the body of Christ. And we do not fight our battles alone. The devil loves us in solitude. Adam and Eve were standing there, but he wasn't talking to Adam and Eve. He was just talking to Eve. Remember that. He's got Eve over here in a corner, whispering, God doesn't really love you. If you eat this fruit, nothing bad will happen. You can do You don't know. And Adam's just standing over there, I don't know, sucking his thumb or flipping on Facebook or whatever he was. He sure as heck wasn't walking in, in, in the purity of a godly husband standing in front of the serpent, taking it out of the tree and saying, get away from my wife. Well, he just took the mango and ate it. Convinced it was a mango, by the way. Best fruit ever. So when you're in your battle, pause and pray, seek wisdom in the word, and then engage in community. We have life groups. If you're not involved in one, get involved in one. If you don't feel like you have time for that, find community somewhere. You don't have to join one of our life groups. We have people in our church that go to life groups at other churches. We have people who go to other churches who come just to our life groups. We don't really care. 
Like, I don't really care. We're not, we're not in competition with other churches. We're just mainly because we would lose. We don't have near enough smoke machines or lasers or climbing walls or whatever. So, but we're not in a competition. Just find community somewhere or you're going to get to a point where you're up to your neck and the river's running quickly and you're going to lose your footing. And when you lose your footing, man, it's really good to have somebody holding the rope on the other side of the shore saying, grab onto the rope and I'm going to pull you in and we're going to do this together. So whatever you're dealing with today, whatever battle you're fighting, don't walk away from here until you've made some choices. God gives you this time, this moment. It's yours. It's, it's given to you as a gift. Don't walk away until you've dealt with the Lord with whatever it is. And if you need to talk to somebody, like we, there's a, just turn to somebody in the church that you know and say, hey, can, I, can you help me? Can you pray with me? You can just do that. You know that? You can actually say, hey, Phil, sorry, everybody doesn't have to go to Phil, but Phil, can you pray with me? Or Phil can come to somebody and say, hey, I'm having a, I'm having a hard time. Just, if you even just know their name, that's enough. And if you're here and you don't know anybody's name, that doesn't matter either. Just say, hey, I've uh, been coming here a couple weeks, don't know your name. Would you pray for me? Sure, what's going on? And then we just do that thing together. It's, it's, it's crazy, and it's simple, and it's beautiful, and it works. But you've got to take time to deal with you and the Lord first to do this. To pause and pray, seek the word, and then to battle in community. So let's pray. Lord, we love you and thank you for uh, the power of your word. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to divide to the, to the division of soul and spirit, to discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We need the penetrating truth of your word, and we need the power of your Holy Spirit to convict us of what we need to do and then empower us to do that very thing. We are not on our own. We as a church reject the lie that we're alone. We aren't. We're part of a body, a local body. We're part of a universal body of believers. And we're part of the great cloud of witnesses, all the faithful believers who have gone before us, who intercede before us as we see in, the, in, the, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, this cloud of witnesses that calls to us from history and from the word to be faithful, to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and to lean not on our own understanding. Help us to reject our own understanding, and to rely entirely upon you and upon the truth of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Would you work on our hearts right now as we respond to you in worship? We would respond, Lord Jesus, by rejecting and relying upon that which is true and upon he who is true. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray these things in your risen and exalted name. Amen. Let's all stand and sing this final song together. And as we do, let's do two things. Let's confess our weakness. Let's declare.